Welcome to The Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Did you know that we're officially back in a buyer's market? That's right. Even though interest rates continue to rise, they are causing prices to fall. So there's finally room for you to do regular real estate investor things that we couldn't do for so long, like gasp, negotiate, make lower offers, ask for sellers to cover some of your closing costs. So it's a really great time to buy in terms of being able to get a lower purchase price and being able to negotiate. So if you're looking for your first or next short-term rental, it's a perfect time to reach out to us at the short-term shop. Let our team of agents in any of our true vacation market destinations help you find the perfect investment. Jump on over to the shorttermshop.com and click get connected to get started. We are brokered by eXp Realty. See y'all over there. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of the Short Term Show. Today we have some super cool guests. We have Ethan and Brooklyn McCarty. They are longtime short term shop clients, like since before it was the short term shop when it was just me. So uh, they own in several markets. I'll let them finish introducing themselves. So how you guys doing today? Oh, we are very good. Thank you for allowing us to be on here. We are uh, we're proud of that uh, title to be a member of the short term shop before it was the short term shop. So. We're very good. I'm Ethan, and uh, this is Brooklyn, obviously. We're from uh, Southern Ohio, close to Cincinnati. Um, have four total doors. Have a cabin in uh, the Smokies, a cabin, well, Pigeon Forge, another cabin in Gatlinburg, and then a duplex down in Gulf Shores, uh, down towards Fort Morgan. Awesome, awesome. And tell us a little bit more about yourselves. Like, how'd you get into real estate? What made you decide to start buying these things? Well, it's a great story. I'll let Brooklyn tell her story here. Yeah. So um, Ethan always says that this is a we story as in an Ethan and a Brooklyn story and not a me story, like just the Ethan story, because he's typically the one that is telling our story. But um, it actually started out as just an Ethan story. Um, He was interested in real estate probably eight years ago. Um, And he just I don't know exactly what sparked that interest, but he started just consuming everything that he could. Bigger Pockets podcast. He was on the forums. He was watching YouTube, reading, you know, mindset books, business books. And I didn't really want anything to do with it. (laughs) I was like not interested in it at all. Um, And uh, you just kind of he was very persistent, (laughs) almost to the point of annoyance. I remember one day we were in the car and he had been wanting me to listen to this Bigger Pockets podcast. And finally, I was just kind of like, gave him a mercy, like, yes, I'll listen to it. So we're listening and it's uh, Brandon Turner and Josh Dork. And I don't remember anything about the podcast other than it was like a 25 unit apartment building and they had bought it and burned it, took all their money out of the deal. Now they're making like $3,000 a month on it. And, uh, they were going to do it again. And I remember pressing pause on his podcast. And I was like, Ethan, people like us don't do things like this. Like this just doesn't happen to people like us. You know, Ethan said, we're from, uh, we're about an hour East from Cincinnati. We're from the very Southern tip of Ohio. It's the poorest County in the state. Um, People here, probably 90% of the population here has a poor dad mentality and 
we were raised with a poor dad mentality. And so he kind of backed off after that. Um, he was still consuming everything, but he just wasn't being outward and verbal about it with me. And uh, we went on to have our first child build a house. And one day uh, our daughter was in bed and he sat down and he was like, listen, there's this agent in the Smokies and she's constantly hurt her husband. They're always on the bigger pockets forums. They're constantly posting about these cabins in the Smokies. Like, you know, this, this is our chance. So he went from getting, trying to get me to buy, you know, $60,000 homes in our back door to let's drain our savings account and buy this house five hours away, this cabin. We have no experience and let's just see what happens. And that was when you really coined the term, like, just because we put an offer on it doesn't mean we're buying it. I hear that all the time. Um, but uh, we he started communicating with you and we got that first deal um, under contract, closed on it March 2020, which is a different story in itself. But it was probably, you know, six weeks after that, that I really, after we closed, I jumped on board and have been riding shotgun ever since. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Oh, I love that story. And we appreciate you guys hanging around so long. And I probably should apologize to you guys because at that point in my career, right before I started hiring agents, I was like the worst agent of my entire career when I was like so busy that I was drowning, but I didn't trust anybody to like <laughs> hire and give clients to because I'd already had people like screw me over when I was pregnant and having people help me. And I was like, okay, I guess I can't do that. I guess I can't start a team. And so that whole like mid 2019 to 2020 time, I was like, not a good agent <laughs> or no, not, certainly not I, my best. <laughs> well, you may, from your perspective, think that not from our perspective, listen, you sold, you sold it for, for us. So you got us over the hump and and I don't remember. I remember that being a, a good it was a good very smooth. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't have much to do with it, but <laughs> and then we had the call with Luke before Management Monday it was all good. <laughs> well, awesome. So let's talk about your portfolio. So tell us uh let's go through each property and tell us what it is, um, how how many bedrooms, size, what you paid for it. All right, so we're uh, a little smaller uh, on the the bedroom account, and we prefer that right now. Um, our original cabin we actually sold, so we our first was a cabin in 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 the um, Pigeon Forge right off the Parkway. We sold it and uh, flipped it into ten thirty one to into a duplex in Gulf Shores. So we have that duplex. It's in Fort Morgan. It's um, two one on each side, third tier. Uh, so you see the beach from one side and the um, bay on the other side. And we love that location, quiet area, private beach. We paid five sixty dollars for that uh, from the 1031. Our, so, but we also bought a second cabin before we flipped that into the duplex. We bought a, another cabin. It's the neighboring cabin. I wrote the owner a letter and he called me and sold it to us. And we bought it for $269,000. Uh, $269, Obviously, that's not happening. Late 2020. Yeah, late 2020. We bought that. It's a mile. It's a mile at the Parkway. It's a studio. Um, has one bathroom. A it it's an ATM machine. It just prints cash. And then the last one that we acquired is a two bedroom up in Gatlinburg. Uh, it's a chalet um, or a roundhouse, as I like to call it. And Brooklyn does not prefer that. Um, it's the two bedroom. We paid uh four. 60. Four sixty five for it. A two bedroom in Gatlinburg back uh, a year ago. 
So that's our portfolio right now, four doors. So a year ago, and it was how much? 465 for a two bedroom. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 20,000 appraisal gap. Yeah. We, we did yeah. pay an appraisal gap. It's like on right when the market was teetering between still being hot and kind of cooling off. Mm-hmm. And gotcha. we didn't make it quite into the cool off period. Yeah. I mean, I think we've all bought something in the, in the, during the height of things. Like we bought our Cape Sandblast place during the height of things and it does exactly what we needed to do. And we've been, been yeah. happy with it. Uh, I want to hear, oh, go ahead. No, no, I'll just say we're happy with the cabin too. We definitely think we overpaid now for what it is, but it's doing exactly what you said, exactly what it needs to do. And uh, we, we, we like, it's a three miles off the parkway mm-hmm. and we really, we, we like that area. Okay. Is it over there on like East? Um, what is it? Foothills. Foothills. Yes. East yeah, Foothills. It's right yep. off of that. In the little roundhouse cabin community. Or that's, sorry, that's, that's all it is. <laughs> yep. That's where we're at. Yeah, that is a cute little area over there, and it, the roads are easy, and it's it's just easy to get to and from over there. Yeah. yeah, so let me ask you guys a question. Why have you continued to stick with smaller properties? Why have you not gone with, uh, you know, like a four-bedroom and up? Well, at first, it's all we could afford, you know, yeah. um, and then when COVID happened, um, you know, people were, these the smaller properties were staying booked more. Um, at the beginning of COVID because people weren't really allowed to congregate. And then um, now, even as we're seeing things start to cool off, it seems like bigger properties, not that they're not booking and occupancy isn't everything, but we feel better having our calendars filled up versus sitting. Um, Yeah. That's the main thing. We just, we'd like to think that a family of our family at any point in time could go and book a one or two bedroom cabin the week before, where if once you get a little bigger, you have to, coordinate with more people and try to get it there. And we like having uh, occupancy. I am uh, healthily addicted to Airbnb bookings, notifications, and we get more of those with the small bedroom. So that that's our belief and our thought and why we have stuck to the small ones. Not saying we won't ever get to the big ones or a bigger one, but right now one and two bedrooms is kind of our sweet spot. Yeah, we own some bigger ones now too, but I have to agree with you. I do love, I still love a good one bedroom property. Mm-hmm. Because they, they do stay booked and it makes you feel, even if they're not making as much as the bigger ones, it just makes you feel good that, oh, look, notification, booking, booking, booking. So it's definitely uh, good psychologically. And, that, you know, yep. there's something to be said for that because a lot of people, uh, you don't want to start investing in real estate so that you could be stressed out and not be able to sleep. You want to invest in real estate so you can sleep better at night. And if, you know, having a smaller property that gets has a higher occupancy rate, helps you do that, then I think that's the way to go. And Brooklyn, you said something really interesting at the beginning um, of of that last question, which was, it it was what we could afford at the time. And I hear people ask all the time, what size should I get? What size should I get? Or what's the best size? The best size and the best price property is the one that you can afford. And that's kind of the same way that we started. We could we bought what we could afford when we could afford it. We could not afford a $250,000 four bedroom, which is what they were back in the day in the Smokies. We couldn't afford that. And so, you know, we have uh, a studio and two one bedrooms with lofts there. We since gotten a bigger one or two, but um, I think a lot of people, they get so focused on hearing what other people have and that it's this big, huge, whatever. And it's so impressive and it makes $300,000 a year or something crazy. But you have to walk before you can run. If you can afford a one bedroom now, that's worth doing, assuming that the numbers work. We're just talking in 
hypotheticals right now, but um, I'm a big, big fan of one bedrooms. They definitely helped get us in the game. And I think that I think a lot of people forget about them and just want to go straight into the big ones. But one bedrooms and two bedrooms are great properties to have. Yep. Ethan has a friend who recently um, had mentioned he's into real estate dabbles in it. And he said that, you know, Ethan was kind of discouraged, I think, with, I can't remember one of our properties we were talking about. He said, everything doesn't have to be a home run. Like that first, that little cabin we have that Ethan said is an ATM machine, like that thing is a home run. Some of them are just base hits that get you to where you need to go. They're not all going to be, you know, grand slams. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Base hits. Get I, I wore my baseball jersey just for that. Analogy there. <laughs> you know, so Cincinnati Reds, that is the only, well, that's the only home game I've ever been to besides a Mets game. I've been to a lot of Mets games, but I, when I was in high school, had a soccer tournament in Cincinnati and we went to a Reds game. It's a nice stadium. I liked it. Yeah. We we, we enjoy the Reds, even though they struggle from time to time. So, <laughs> well, so yeah. So how did you guys finance these things? You mentioned you had a 1031 on one of them, but how are you typically financing your properties? So our first one was uh, an actual vacation home home loan, 10% down. Um, and probably, which, you know, I know people, it, there's a fence to ride there. We did do what we needed to do where we used it 14 days and it's definitely further than away uh, than, than 60 miles. So that was the first one. Um, since then, Let's see. Our second one uh, was another cabin that the second cabin we bought. It was a investment loan, 15 percent down mm -hmm. uh, and the duplex with 1031. But we I used the local lender here. I got a buddy I graduated high school with who can lend, but it's all commercial. So it's 20 year loans, but um, they're local and we really like working with them. And then the last one was a 20 um, percent down investment loan. So we've kind of done a mix of everything. That one was with the mortgage shop. Yep. My last one was with the mortgage shop. Awesome. We appreciate your business. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's talk about managing these properties and the differences. So I really like to ask people who own stuff in lower seasonality markets and also own stuff in higher seasonality markets, uh, what the difference is. Because I hear so many people who are like, oh, I don't want to buy in a coastal market because it's seasonal. So I want to hear what y'all's experience has been owning in a low seasonality market like the Smokies and then also having two units uh, in a coastal market. Sure. Uh, I will say this is Ethan and Brooklyn's perspective and everybody has their own opinion. Uh, we, the Smokies is, we, we love the Smokies and uh, we understand it's a year long uh, process and we get bookings all the time. we got work to do all the time where the beach is, for I'm sure for some people, and I think Luke mentions this, it's nine months of work for the same same or more money. I just we we've we are the people we I don't know that we love that. We uh we like the the year-long people coming through. Um, even though it's less work, we also have found from our uh perspective or opinion that the beach guests spend more time at the house and we get more complaints. Um, we get more issues where the if you think about going to the smokies, you're always out doing stuff, you're not really going to the cabin um and, and um hanging out hanging out so there are definitely differences um there have been pros and cons to both i think from us we actually prefer the the year long although we uh, it, the beach does do nine months of revenue the same that the smokies does you know in that nine month period 
Okay. So you're saying the guest quality is a little bit different and not better or worse. I shouldn't say quality, but that's the word. No, no, not, they're just more needy. They're, they're at the house more. They find more things wrong. And um, they, they. Um, yeah. It's just, I feel like when you book a vacation to go to the beach, you're booking that vacation to go spend time at the beach and spend time in the house. And they are just, they're in the house all the time. So they're finding the dirt that's under the bed or, you know, whatever. Not that it shouldn't be there to begin with, but it just seems like they are just a little more nitpicky. I don't know. We have a, we have to work much harder for our five stars in Fort Morgan than we do for, I mean, in the Smokies, I feel like they're almost automatic. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. I've experienced that too. I think in our Florida properties that people are a little more persnickety than they are about the Smokies. And you know what I think has a lot to do with it is that, so all our properties in the Smokies are a lot of tongue and groove, you know, the dark wood floors. And then in the beach houses, everything's like super light gray or white. So any potential dirt or dust or anything that's going to show up is much more obvious. And then I feel like... I don't know why I kind of feel like this, but I feel like in the the beach markets, the moms, which are typically the ones that book, are the ones that like they almost if something if anybody. in So our let me back up a little bit. Our beach house is kind of is a bigger one. It's four bedrooms. And this is a lot of psychology, like from from watching my mom and just l- growing up in the South. So we had somebody one time that our primary bedroom is the bathroom is really, really updated. It's got black hexagon floors and white subway tile. And then the rest of the bedrooms are um, inserts, shower inserts. And you can tell in the pictures, it's just, you know, a shower curtain. But we had one person who was really upset when she got there that all of the bedrooms did not have the the brand, like the tile shower and everything. And the rest of them were tub inserts, even though they're brand new. And I think the reason she was so hung up on that is because she was the one who booked. And then she took offense. Like she didn't do a good job of booking yeah. when people said, Oh, I wish my shower was like that. I thought all the showers were going to be like that when you sent us this. So I think that, Maybe it's just a mom thing, but definitely Southerners, if we feel like we have done something that has not made everyone's life easier or pleased everyone, then we feel like we were rude or we did something wrong. And it's a little bit of a disorder, but I I see a lot more of that in the beach properties than I do in the Smokies properties of people being real persnickety about everything. So I totally, I totally feel you on that. But also I do love, I would say our dust and stuff, which has got people who aren't familiar it was just right down the road from from Gulf Shores, a couple hours. Uh, I feel like I do like being able to turn it off in the wintertime yeah. and not have to worry about it. So it, it's definitely each each market has its own little things, you know, the pros and cons. Yes, I agree. And I love the word persnickety. <laughs> <laughs> I could. I mean, that's the word for it. It's totally it is a good word. Yeah. Yep. Nope. that's how we feel. We, we're, we're they, I think right now we're Smokies people, not saying we won't be beach people later. And, and the beach property was built in 94. So it is a little older, probably has a little more things wrong with it. So they're not wrong. It's just, they maybe see it more than the, the Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg folks do. Yeah, totally agree with that. 
Hey guys, hope you are enjoying this week's episode of The Short Term Show. We are loving it. We are loving interviewing all these guests for you guys, and we hope you're getting a lot of value out of it. And we just, we really love you guys. We love you so much that we have created a community just for you. We have a Facebook group specifically for short-term rental investors, and there are tons of great posts every day, sharing best practices, learning new things from other short-term rental investors. And we would love to see you over there. The name of the group is the same name as my book, Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. Head over and join the conversation. We look forward to seeing you over there. Thanks, guys. Hopefully you guys are finding all of these short-term show episodes to be really helpful. We certainly hope that you are, but maybe you have more questions and you just want to be able to ask an expert a certain question here and there. Well, we have at the short-term shop open office hours on Zoom every Thursday and you can sign up for free. So if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up to hop on and we will answer any questions that you have on short-term rental investing. Again, it's every Thursday and you can sign up at strquestions.com. All right. So let's talk about your cash on cash returns. Now, I don't want to get too much in y'all's business, but so you you like seeing the butts in the seats all year. We, we've gathered that. You like the seasonality of the Smokies and you like the smaller properties because they get booked more often. Are your cash on cash returns similar or which one is better? Well, to, we got to make sure the first cabin that we have here was bought pre-price increase. So that little studio cabin cash on cash is through the roof. So that outline between the Gatlinburg one and the beach one, I would say they're very similar cash on cash mm -hmm. as to what we've put in and what we're getting out of them. Um, for what we paid. Yeah. I'd say very similar. The beach is probably a little higher cash on cash mm -hmm. overall, but it, th they would be close. Okay. Pretty similar. That's yeah. exactly the answer I was expecting actually. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about how you guys are managing it. What what systems do you use? What what digital platforms? We'll get into hardware in a minute. Do you use to manage? Sure. Uh, let's we'll first mention that, like you know we are married and we live with each other and we run this business together. So we do try to define our roles. And um, I don't do any of the managing. So I will let I will let Brooklyn speak about all that. Okay. Yeah. Um, when we first started, uh, before when we first started with that first cabin. You know, Ethan and I are both on our phones logged into the same Airbnb, the same Verbo, same PMS, whatever. So we were getting, you know, the same notifications at the same time about when am I going to get my door code or how far is this cabin to the island or whatever. And um, we were both sometimes it was just first come, first serve. Whoever would get the notification was the one that would respond. And very quickly, we realized we were simultaneously responding with different answers. Like we need to have clear roles. So I kind of took care, took over the day-to-day -day management and Ethan's in charge of what I like to call the boring stuff, like taxes, bookkeeper uh, acquisitions. But our management, we are using, we use IGMS, um, we use Price Labs, and what else do we use? I think we use um, Jervis for our locks, our door codes, and that's our, we don't have a very big tech stack. That's it. Slage, yeah. we use slage locks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We love IGMS. Yeah. Yeah. So that is one of the bigger PMSs, but I think I hear mostly hospitable, hostfully, 
guesty for hosts or well is igms get is no it's not no no yeah, igms is different sorry your reporter turned into guesty for hosts sorry so yes igms so why have you stuck with igms and not transferred over to anything else you you're, you guys are holdouts yeah i mean it's not like a you know pretty software definitely it's kind of has like a verbo feel to it but it <laughs> functions much better than Verbo. It does like what we need it to do. And kind of like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. You know, we've looked a couple different times to and change. Had it done like a couple trials and stuff, but it's just like, they're still doing the same things that IGMS is doing. And so we yeah. just kind of wrote it out there for a long time. We were trying to figure out it. IGMS wouldn't do the locks yeah. where it auto sent the code, but they integrate with a system called Jervis now. And that was, since they've done that, we haven't even thought yeah. about looking uh, elsewhere. We, we really like what they do. Cool. And yeah. I think that, that is, it sounds so simple. If it, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But so many people try to fix stuff that's not broken. For example, like just because you have some equity in a property does not mean that you have to pull it out and buy something else and pull it out and buy something else. Uh, I saw a lot of people get really over leveraged doing that. And I think that's one of the big things where you buy a property or maybe not everybody, everybody has different reasons and goals for buying things. But for me, if it's cash flowing the way it is, why am I going to change the loan <laughs> to make it not cash flow or cash flow less so that I can go get something else? I've seen a lot of people post things about, oh, I just, I've done X amount of cash out refis on this same property. And I'm like, man, how are you making money on that anymore? Like you are, sacrificing your current cash flow on the altar of scale and for what so you can have several properties that end up not cash flowing so i just that's always when you said that it kind of triggered me because i think a lot of people do that they think they get caught up in scaling and and forget about the fact that, well this one's making money the way that it is and we don't need to to fix it no i think it's easy to get caught up in that especially now with all the people influencing and and that's the fun stuff to influence and to show is how many properties you're buying and, and this, this, and this, where slow and steady is kind of boring. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't really sell, but it's worked for us uh, yeah. so far. And, you know, we're in it for the long race here. I totally, I totally agree with that. We have never pulled equity out of anything ever. <laughs> we did one HELOC at the very beginning on our primary home and paid it back immediately. But we've, we've never done a cash out refi on anything. And I like knowing that, that, that it's sitting there and, you know, it, we're not over leveraged by any means. I like knowing we aren't over leveraged. So yeah. there's definitely, you know, some comfort there. And I think that's cool. Even though you were talking about your, your property management software is doing what you need it to do. So why, why change just because there's other ones that are talked about more or posted about more or started doing this new thing. Like you've got your system built and this is how you run it. And I, I like that. That's what we're doing for right now. Yo. Yeah. Well, what's next for you guys? What's the next investment or do you know yet? Uh, I don't know if we know whatever it'll be probably be in the Smokies uh, when we get there, but Slow and steady, what yep. we're trying to do. Um, I'm always looking, so I'm not saying nothing couldn't happen, but yep. you know, right now we're just we're just kind of out there in, in in no man's land, looking at stuff, but ha doing what we need to do to get these uh, running smoothly. Awesome. Well, I love it. I love what you guys are doing, and also there's other, another thing that Brooklyn mentioned is 
that both of you were trying to run them together at the beginning and how that didn't work. I I think a lot of people try to start out doing that. Maybe not necessarily spouses, but partners and like, okay, yeah, we're just going to, whoever gets the notification first is going to respond. And that almost always just ends up putting kind of a bottleneck in the management process. And uh, I think that that's really smart to designate one person to do the either to message the guests and someone else to do, you know, maybe coordinating maintenance or something like that. Do you guys split it at all or Brooklyn? It's solely you. I am in charge of like, you know, guest communication. I contact, communicate with our cleaners, our handy people. Um, And then Ethan is, like I said, he's con he's in contact with our, our bookkeeper, our CPA. Um, Yeah. Anytime we're going through an acquisition period, he's the one that's communicating with our agent, getting the utility switched over, working with like the permitting processes, all that kind of stuff. Like I said, he does, he takes care of the boring stuff. If there is a message or something that, you know, Brooklyn is uh, mostly a stay-at-home mom with, yeah. with two kids. So if she's busy, if she doesn't see it, I just text her and say, hey, there's an Airbnb message. Yeah. And she'll either sit, respond respond with this or she most, most of the time just goes ahead and takes care of it. But I do try to at least keep an eye on it in case something would slip through the cracks where yeah. she's just focused on the kids. I do still have a W-2 that I work one day a week and I'm with patient care. And so he knows like on Wednesdays, if, you know, something does need attention, he will respond to it. If I haven't got to it in X amount of time, then I'm probably with the patient. Awesome. I like, I like how you guys have everything kind of laid out about who's playing what position. I think that that makes for a much smoother process in the yeah. long run, for sure. Well, yeah, she stated we sent the same. Uh, I don't remember the exact question the guest asked, but we sent the different answers back at the, the same, same time. <laughs> yeah. We won't. Say, we won't say who was wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was that was the thing where you're like, okay, we're just going to separate this. Yeah. 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 We both can't keep doing this. So. Yeah. Uh, I, we, w- if you got a s- time, we'll talk about, we kind of wrote down like the five steps to getting, yeah. I was so persistent and passionate about real estate and Brooklyn was a little behind. We, we kind of wrote down five things. If you want to talk through those real quick. Yeah. Let's hear them. Uh, all right. So uh, we wrote down five things to get your spouse uh, to invest, <laughs> to, to hopefully invest in real estate with you. Obviously this worked for us and kind of what we think. Um, and so the first thing that really helped me is understand how Brooklyn receives and processes information. Um, Very slowly. Brooklyn will tell you, I'm the guy, I'm I'm kind of Michael Scott. Uh, when the prince of wherever emails me and tells me they need need something, like I'm the I'm the guy who's gonna jump on. I don't need much explanation to do stuff. Um, it's like a pamphlet or a flyer, and I look at it and you've kind of sold me. And Brooklyn is not that way. No, I need it like explained to me forwards, backwards a hundred times and then do it all again. So I had to learn that me sharing my information as quickly as possible wasn't helping Brooklyn. It's it, just overwhelming me. Yeah, I had to slow down. So I really needed to learn how she processes information and it, it helped. Uh, I didn't do it well for a while. Uh, but I finally figured it out and and and, and that worked. So uh, the second one is be persistent but don't be annoying. Um, and I am very persistent in life. I, and it goes back to learning that this is just for us being in Brooklyn. And I, like I had to ask her to go on a date like 12 times and she finally said, yes, I've always been persistent. 
but at times in the real estate journey, I was so, so caught up in, in what I wanted and how I wanted to do it and how quickly I wanted to do it that I just became annoying. And she shut me out or shut me off. And just to turn off. Like I didn't want to, I didn't care to hear. I didn't ever want to know what bigger pockets was about, you know? So I wasn't doing myself any favors. So be patient. Don't be, uh, be persistent. Uh, be, be patient with that. The thing that I think really tipped the scale for me was when Ethan said he had credibility, like he was, I mean, we didn't know you then, but he had you, you had these real life person with these real life experiences that could, you know, Ethan was just telling me a theory, but you had the evidence, the facts to back that up. Avery had all the answers. Is what yeah. Avery had the answers. And that I don't was- know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe about, a, you know, a one bedroom cabin in the Smokies. I had them, but <laughs> being able to show me that like other people have done this and been successful and this is what we need to do that. That did help. It wasn't like we were just, you know, shooting around in the dark. You know, next thing is uh, I also got kind of got smart and I actually sit down and showed her yeah. the numbers um, and typed them out and had a spreadsheet and said, this is this. And I here's the worst case scenario of what it looks like. And that really made a difference once instead of me just talking hundred miles an hour, sitting down, showing them the true thing in the worst case scenario. I mean, obviously showed her the best case scenario, but uh, showed her the worst case scenario and it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad scenario. So that, that really helped. Um, and then the last thing is what is really important and is highlighting like for us, I highlighting Brooklyn strengths in the real estate journey. So like she is works in patient care and has great customer service. And, um, you know, I was able to share with her, like, here's how you are going to really help us do this. Here's what's, uh, you're able to communicate with the guests. You're able to design. She loves shipping Joanna. What I mean, we all do, don't we? Um, she was able to design the cabins, however she wanted. Like it was, um, it was really helpful me being able to pull out her strengths and how they correlate to the investing journey. So that's five things we wrote down. We feel good about them. Yeah, I feel good about that too. And I think the sitting down and looking at spreadsheets is so important, especially when you have a family and you're busy and there's so much like, especially because, you know, you have that period, I call it the witching hour between five and seven, where the kids are really tired. You're trying to get them fed, bathed. They're kind of acting up because they're tired. They don't want to go to bed. So they're fighting that. And it's just, that's a very stressful time of the evening, but that's the time of the evening when so many families, that's like really the only time they have to talk about anything. And it's really easy to just brush it off and say, Oh no, you know, like Max is throwing a fit or whatever. Um, and really carving out that time to sit down and look at things together. So with Luke and I, now it's at like five o'clock in the morning because that's just it. Like our kids are a hundred miles an hour and that's the time that we know it's going to be quiet. People aren't going to need us. Although my oldest does have like a sense if anybody's up in the house, <laughs> she will wake up and stay up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's really important to find a time to sit down and actually look at things. I know I'm super guilty of brushing everything off and saying, oh, you know, you 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 do it. I trust you or just not doing it. So I think that's super important and being persistent, but not annoying. That's it's a very fine line, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, there are definitely times that I, I over pushed all the buttons and I had to learn and I still do it. I mean, it's just how I'm built and how she's built. I still can be annoyingly persistent. And now I just understand. And she'll just tell me, oh, you need to take a break. <laughs> you <gotta stop. laughs> do you listen? Yeah, I, I typically do, do, do listen. Then, Five minutes. Then I just call my mom and <laughs> yeah. start to talk to my mom about it. And she don't want to hear it either. So. <laughs> Yeah, my mom says that I obsess things into the ground. <laughs> That's me. That is me. Wear it down. <laughs> yeah, so my mom gets tired of hearing from me. So if I take a break, <laughs> I just got, I got to go get my nails done or something. <laughs> um, cool. Well, anything else of the those five? Which of those five do you think is the most important? Do you have an, what 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 affected you the most? I think you learning how I perceived information and giving me time to process it on my own without overwhelming me was. And actually sitting down, he sat at our kitchen island with his, this little spreadsheet. I have no idea where he even got it. Like a little <laughs> mad scientist putting numbers in and showing me like, this is, this is a real number of what we can do. And that was, that was eye opening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> it, it really is, especially when you're younger and not because you guys are not in your both of you guys only one of you guys is in your 30s right the rest you're in your 20s i'm 30 i'm 32, 32. Yeah. okay so when you guys started you were in your mid-20s you know we're not talking about executives and ceos who are making millions of dollars a year when that just like you know when i started i was making like forty thousand. sorry yeah 37 and uh it really does that one property, even if you're just cash flowing like a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars a month, that's a life changing amount of money when that's what your take home pay is for a week. And yep. I think a lot of people, again, they look at what other people are saying they're making on these crazy houses and they're like, well, I don't have the resources to buy something like that where I'm going to make two hundred thousand a year. And so I'm just not going to try. But it, it starts with just that extra thousand a month. And then you you roll it in from there. Or actually, a lot of people think they can go spend, you know, buy a two hundred fifty thousand dollar condo in Myrtle Beach and make three hundred thousand dollars on it and quit their job on one property. Those those people are out there too. But that really is a life changing amount of money when you're in your twenties. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was, it is, and you know the 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 money that we had to put down was also like I understand her hesitancy on yeah. all this because it was a lot of our money. Uh, that we put down to take a risk, but you know, we just put an offer on. We didn't have to go any further than that. Didn't mean we're buying it. But we drained our savings for that first one. Yeah, we we did the same. Like we had not one penny left after that first down payment. We were like waiting for Luke's next paycheck to come in the next week. Like eating macaroni and cheese, or he won't. <laughs> he doesn't eat cheese, so he was eating rice and beans or something, super cheap. But. uh yeah, it's it's terrifying to spend your last dollar on something and not be sure. So yeah. congratulations to you guys for jumping out there and, and doing it. Look at you now, yeah. you're cruising. Yeah, well, thank you for uh, all your help. Oh, you guys did it. I was just here. I was just, I'm just somebody to talk to. <laughs> yeah. Good somebody to talk to, so. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Well, okay, guys, we're to the last three questions of the show. And I want to hear answers from both of you. Uh, you guys know the drill because you've told me your listeners. So first question, what advice would you give 20 year old Ethan in Brooklyn? You go ahead. Listen to Ethan. 
Just <laughs> when Ethan starts talking about bigger pockets, start listening. And, I mean, just be more receptive, you know? Yeah, mine is at the theme of the day here, but be persistent. And if you have something that you want to do and it's a good idea, I mean, be take daily action to get you closer to where you're going to be. And you may not see it quickly, but, you know, being persistent gets you places. Totally agree with that. And you may have the same advice for this uh, this question because it's a little similar. But what advice would you give a new investor who's interested in getting started in short-term rentals today? Yeah. Um, so specifically for investors who are investing as you know, a married couple or spouses or partners, I think that it's important when you get started to really define those roles and to also set aside time. Like this is where I talk about business. And, you know, from this time when we eat dinner, we're not going to talk about it. Or after the kids go to bed, we're not going to talk about it and not let it consume you because it can very easily consume your, you know, all of your conversations. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. For sure. And for me, uh, I work at W2 and I manage some people and we are taught constantly that to do the best, you need to do what you need, do what needs to be done despite how you feel. And so you may not feel like exercising in the morning, but you should do it because it's going to make you better. And there's every day there are going to be things that you don't feel like doing that you should do. And the people who do those things, despite how they feel, are way ahead and, and just to have a you know, they're further ahead. Yeah. You're saying this to me today as my allergies are really, really bothering me and I'm super sleepy and kind of can't breathe. <laughs> I, wait, listen, I didn't say it's easy to practice. All right. I still struggle. With it. It's very easy to say, but I hear it all the time and I tell Brooklyn it all the time. And it, it's the truth. If you do stuff when you don't feel like doing it, that you're ahead of people who aren't doing it. Absolutely right. Okay, last question. What is your favorite book that's impacted your mindset? Um, so I would say, I mean, not to be cliche, but it would, it would be Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I read that probably, listened to it um, probably five, six months after we got started. And I wish I had listened to it when Ethan very first read it because I, it truly is a mind-changing book especially like i said you know where we live we live in a poor dad community it's just the american dream is what is bred into people here and so i wish i had read that a long time ago and for me uh, i just someone just recommended this book it's a spiritual book it's uh the genius of jesus and brooklyn and i are both christians and and for us it of course it means something but even if you're not religious. It talks about, um, you know, having uh, empathy, being kind, being graceful, uh, all of which we try our very best to be and just want to be the best people we can be. And so uh, spiritual or not spiritual, I would recommend uh, that book. All right. Great recommendations. And guys, if any of our followers, if y'all's story spoke to them and they want to follow you on social media or connect with you, excuse me, connect with you. I can't breathe out of my nose and it's making me not be able to pronounce my words right. Uh, where can they find you guys? Yeah, so I'm pretty active in uh, the short-term shops page. If anybody wants Facebook page, um, if anybody wants to message me there, I will not always the best at checking my direct messages there, but I try to check them once a week. 
And probably for Instagram for me, Ethan T. McCarty is where you can find me um, or just message Brooklyn. (laughs) She'll get the message to me. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming on and let's do this again sometime. Yes. Thank you, Avery. Thank you, Avery. See you later.